Good morning. This is 5 at 8. Today's Friday, December 8th, 2023. And here is the day's top news. Your hosts are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about a new scheme by Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, to boost vaccine manufacturing in Africa. The United States imposing sanctions on individuals and entities for funneling funds to Yemen's Houthi group. The expected record profits of Russian banks this year. The discovery of frozen carbon monoxide in a cloud at the center of our galaxy. And the upcoming trial of former President Donald Trump for charges related to his alleged conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. Story number one. According to Reuters, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, has announced a new scheme called the African Vaccine Manufacturing Accelerator that will provide up to $1 billion to boost vaccine manufacturing in Africa. The aim is to address the inequality in vaccine access on the continent and to produce domestically made vaccines to combat diseases like cholera and malaria. The African Union has set a target for the African vaccine manufacturing industry to supply over 60% of the continent's vaccine doses by 2040. The funding for the accelerator comes from leftover money in the COVAX initiative, and the scheme is set to launch in June 2024. Additionally, Gavi has approved plans for $290 million to support routine immunizations for children and a $500 million first response fund for future pandemics. Can I just say, this is fantastic news. A billion-dollar commitment to address vaccine inequality in Africa. It's a testament to what international collaboration can do. The fact that this funding comes from the COVAX initiative shows how such schemes can create a lasting impact, even after the immediate crisis they were set up to address has started to recede. I agree, Mark. This is indeed a significant development. However, I'm concerned about the sustainability of using leftover money from initiatives like COVAX to finance such large-scale projects. We need steady, reliable funding to ensure the longevity of the African vaccine industry. Relying on leftover funds might not be the most viable long-term strategy. Well, Linda, I see your point. But let's not forget that this is a 10-year commitment. It's not a one-off payment, but a pledge to bolster vaccine manufacturing in Africa over a decade. And remember... The idea is to reduce dependence on foreign aid in the long run by strengthening the domestic industry. Yes, Mark, it's a 10-year commitment. But what happens after that? Also, the African Union's target of supplying 60% of the continent's vaccine doses seems ambitious given the high startup costs and logistical hurdles. What we really need to focus on is building robust health systems and infrastructure that can support such initiatives. I hear you, Linda. However... The economic spin-offs of developing a domestic vaccine industry could be huge. It could spur job creation and innovation, which could positively impact those very health systems and infrastructure you're talking about. That's true, Mark. But let's not forget the lessons from the HIV-AIDS pandemic. Despite the huge international support, many African countries still struggle with access to treatment. We need to ensure that this doesn't become another case of too little, too late. But this initiative seems to be aiming to do just that, prevent a repeat of past mistakes. By focusing not just on the current COVID-19 crisis, but also on diseases like cholera and malaria that have long been a scourge in Africa, it's taking a more comprehensive approach. I hope you're right, Mark. Only time will tell how effective this initiative will be. Let's hope for the best. Story number two. 
According to Reuters, the United States has imposed sanctions on 13 individuals and entities for allegedly funneling tens of millions of dollars in foreign currency to Yemen's Houthi group from the sale and shipment of Iranian commodities. The U.S. Treasury stated that the scheme involved a complex web of exchange houses and firms in multiple countries, including Yemen, Turkey, and St. Kitts and Nevis, and was backed by Iran's paramilitary force, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. The Treasury believes that the funds provided by Iran have enabled recent attacks by the Houthis on commercial shipping in the Red Sea, posing a threat to international trade. The sanctions freeze assets and prohibit transactions with the targeted individuals and entities. Are we looking at another classic example of state entities using non-state actors as proxies, Linda? The U.S. is imposing sanctions on Iranian groups for allegedly funding Yemen's Houthi group. It reminds me of the Cold War era where states often supported proxy conflicts. It's a strategy that's been used for decades, if not centuries. In this case, we see Iran, a state entity, allegedly supporting the Houthi group, a non-state actor, to achieve certain political and strategic objectives. The complexity here lies in the network of exchange houses and firms across multiple countries, including Yemen, Turkey, and even as far as St. Kitts and Nevis. And the economic implications can't be ignored. These sanctions freeze all properties and interests in the United States of those targeted and generally prohibit Americans from conducting transactions with them. This impacts maritime trade in the Red Sea, disrupting global commercial operations. That's right. And it's not just about economic impact, it's also about security. The Houthis have been staging drone and missile attacks, endangering international trade routes. And this is where the role of global financial systems comes into play. These systems are being used for operations that are destabilizing the region. Yes, Linda. So it's not just about traditional diplomacy anymore. We're seeing Iran's use of paramilitary assets over the usual diplomatic channels. It's a shift in the dynamics of international power structures, where non-state actors like the Houthi group are becoming influential players. Mark, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's crucial to discuss the effectiveness of sanctions here. While they are a non-violent means of asserting international power, their effectiveness has been a subject of debate. The desired change often doesn't materialize, leading to prolonged conflict and suffering for the civilian population. Yeah, Linda, that's a real concern. And let's not forget the global response. I mean, how multinational cooperation or conflict influences the strategies and tactics between states and non-state actors can't be overlooked. It's a complex, multifaceted issue. And understanding these dynamics is key to finding potential solutions. So as we continue to monitor this situation, we need to keep these broader implications, historical connections, and potential complications in mind. Story number three. Russian banks are expected to reach record profits of around 3.3 trillion rubles, $36 billion this year, as reported by Reuters. However, Profits are predicted to drop by about 1 trillion rubles in 2024 due to high interest rates slowing lending growth. Sanctions imposed by the West in 2022 caused profits to plummet by almost 90%, but recovery has been driven by strong lending growth and high net interest margins. According to Reuters, the central bank also noted that while lending accelerated in the third quarter, a slowdown is possible by the end of the year. Corporate lending growth in the quarter was fueled by demand for loans from state contracts, debt replacement, and growth in housing construction. 
Reuters states that the central bank's monetary tightening is expected to reduce credit demand in the economy. Despite higher rates, widening interest margins have boosted profits. In a report from Reuters, the central bank forecasts profits for 2024 to range from 2.1, 2.6 trillion rubles. Hasn't it been fascinating to see how Russian banks have managed to bounce back this year? Profits reaching record levels of around 3.3 trillion rubles. Just goes to show that even in the face of sweeping sanctions and high interest rates, clever strategies and resilience can turn the tide. It's been quite a turnaround. But let's not forget, this rebound is primarily due to strong lending growth and high net interest margins. The state's burgeoning defense budget has also played a significant role in this recovery. It's a complex interplay of factors, isn't it? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. The demand for loans from state contracts, the replacement of external debt, and growth in housing construction. These all have contributed to corporate lending growth. But there's a bit of a hitch, isn't there? The bank's monetary tightening is expected to reduce demand for credit in the economy. Right you are, Mark. It's a sort of balancing act, isn't it? On one hand, the banks have managed to boost profits. But on the other hand, there's an expectation of profits dropping off by about 1 trillion rubles in 2024 due to high interest rates cooling lending growth. The banks will need to find ways to navigate through this. Yeah, it's a bit like walking a tightrope, isn't it? But we've seen banks in other countries like Iran and North Korea navigate through similar situations. It's not an easy task, but with the right strategies and a bit of luck, it's definitely possible. The historical precedent is there. However, it's important to note that these strategies often come with their own risks and complications. The reliance on the defense budget, for instance, can become a double-edged sword if geopolitical tensions escalate. Story number four. According to CNN, scientists have discovered that a cloud of dust at the center of our galaxy, known as the brick, is not only made up of gas, but also contains a significant amount of frozen carbon monoxide. This finding challenges previous assumptions about the composition and behavior of the cloud and raises questions about why new stars are not forming within it. The discovery of carbon monoxide ice could have broader implications for understanding dark clouds in the Milky Way and could impact various areas of research, including estimating the mass of clouds in the galactic center. The James Webb Space Telescope played a crucial role in revealing these new details about the brick and further investigations are needed to fully understand its composition and star-forming potential. There's a real thrill in this, Linda. I mean, just imagine the possibilities this discovery opens up. It's like we've been handed a brand new map, one that could lead us to a completely different understanding of star formation. Oh, absolutely, Mark. It's fascinating to see how our understanding of the universe is constantly evolving. But I think we should also be cautious. This could mean we've been measuring things all wrong for years. And that's a bit unsettling, don't you think? Unsettling, sure. But think about it, Linda. Every major scientific breakthrough has come from challenging the status quo, from realizing we were wrong about something. I'd argue that's a necessary part of progress. Hmm, I see your point, Mark, but... I mean, we're talking about the very fabric of our understanding of the universe. If our measurements are off, the implications could be huge and not necessarily in a good way. It could mean reevaluating decades, if not centuries, of astronomical data. Well, yeah, but isn't that the thrill of it? I mean, what if this leads us to discover something even more profound about our universe? I say, bring on the ice! Let's dive in and see what it has to teach us!
Oh, I agree. The potential for new discoveries is exciting. No doubt about that. I'm just... I'm just saying we need to be prepared for what those discoveries might mean for our current understanding of the cosmos. But you're right. Bring on the ice. Story number five. Former President Donald Trump's trial for charges related to his alleged conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election is scheduled to begin in early March, as reported by The New York Times. If the trial proceeds as planned, Trump would become the first former president in U.S. history to face a trial as a criminal defendant. The trial could potentially take place before the Republican Party's nominating convention in July, where Trump is considered the frontrunner for the party's nomination. This unprecedented situation would intertwine Trump's legal case with his presidential campaign, turning the federal courthouse into a platform for impromptu campaign rallies. The collision of the legal case and the race for the White House would have significant implications and could shape each other. Trump is expected to use the courtroom proceedings to influence public opinion and gain an advantage in the unique presidential race. The situation is fraught with uncertainty and potential dangers, including the possibility of a large portion of the population rejecting the jury's verdict if Trump is convicted, according to the New York Times. It's quite a spectacle, isn't it? Trump facing a trial for felony charges right in the middle of an election year. I mean, the intertwining of politics and the law has always been a murky territory, but this? This is something else. It's like a real-life political thriller unfolding right before our eyes. The lines between the courtroom and the campaign trail seem to be blurring. And what's fascinating is how this could influence public opinion. We've seen how legal issues can tarnish a politician's image, but with Trump, it may just fuel his base. His rhetoric has always thrived on controversy after all. Yeah, you're right. It's almost as if his legal battles are becoming a part of his political strategy. If he can spin this into a narrative of him being victimized by the system, it might actually work in his favor. It's a high-stakes gamble, no doubt. Indeed. And it's not just about the election, but also about the public's perception of justice. If Trump is convicted, how will his supporters react? Will they see it as a fair judgment or as a politically motivated move? It's a delicate situation that could potentially polarize the population even further. And let's not forget about the role of media here. The coverage of the trial will be nothing short of a media frenzy. The way they portray the trial can significantly shape public opinion. It's, it's going to be a wild ride, that's for sure. Certainly. It's an unprecedented situation that may very well set a new precedent for how political figures handle legal controversies. It's a pivotal moment not just for Trump or the Republican Party, but for the American political landscape as a whole. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.